Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Scripture reading today is from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 37 through 47. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you, Sophie. Good morning and welcome again to our anniversary Sunday here at Redeemer Lincoln Square. Bruce underplayed what's happening downstairs. He's had a carnival theme. It's, there's not going to be any dunk the pastor kind of thing, but there will be, I think there's popcorn and cotton candy and donuts and lots of celebration uh, apparatuses. So uh, please go downstairs and participate in that. Uh, because we are five years old. And um, I mean, to be really technical, five years, two years of that was in a pandemic. So we're three plus two. I mean, point is, we're still fairly young. If you're new, we're pretty new. If you've been here from the beginning, you're, nobody's been here longer than five years. And so I believe because it's the anniversary, because there's so many new people, because of the pandemic, today would be a really good day to take a moment to remind ourselves, why do we exist? Why, why come to Redeemer Lincoln Square? Why, uh, why actually be part of this church? Who, who are we? And what's our vision? Our vision statement's very simple. Our vision statement is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. I'll say it again, to joyfully reflect God's love together in the city. Great vision statement, nice and concise. Just a bunch of words if we don't embody that. And so, how do we square that vision statement with the fact that the number one reason that individuals give for why they're not Christians, why they're not part of the church, is, the number one reason is because of the lives of Christians, I think we need to let this kind of sink in for a second, that the number one reason people say they're not Christians today is because Christians are hypocrites. 
They say phrases like what we just said, that vision statement, and then we don't live lives in light of it. And so I think that's all the more reason to sit here this morning and try to figure out what does it actually mean to be the church to, today. And not only what, it, what, um, what does it mean, but how, what would it actually look like to live out our vision? Today's text comes from Acts chapter 2. This is from the early church, and we're going to look at how the early church operated, how did they actually live, and therefore, how does that affect us? How should we do the same thing? Three things today. Let's look at community, cut, and changed. We'd be a community, we'd be cut, and we would be changed. First, we would be a community. In the New Testament, the word church is the Greek word ekklesia. But the word church, when it was used back then, the, the, the word was always used to mean a gathering, an assembly, a group of, of people meeting. Right? In other words, church didn't mean church. It just meant, hey, when you, uh, uh, the church just means, hey, we're gathering. This is important because what that means then is, today, what you just did, you did not come to church. Because church primarily is not a building. Church is a body of people, which means you are the church. That's a big deal for us because we rent this space. We don't actually own it, which is one of the reasons why four times a year we have to move our services early. Because the, the, the individuals who own this place, they rent it out to other people. That's good stuff for us, though, actually, because it keeps us away from being building-centric, and we can be people-centric. And so the, uh, if, if that's true, then when we gather when we are joyfully living as reflections of God's love, then that's the church. It's actually a profound thought if you let it. The church isn't a place, it's a people. It's us operating together. Now, what does that look like when we come together? What, what, is it, what are the features of gathering? Look at verse 42. It says they devoted themselves to, what does it say? To the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. And there's too many things to kind of go over right now, but let me just key in on one word. They devoted themselves. I never really thought about this until this week, but devotion takes time. Devotion means it, that takes effort to, to devote yourself, which means if you want community, look, it takes devotion. A lot of people say, I want relationship, I want community, and, and they don't realize that it takes effort. It takes uh, uh, energy to do so. And because it takes effort, it means, well, think about it. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, it's hard to be part of the community unless you're part of a community group. What's happening in a community group? You're meeting weekly. You're spending time to gather. You're, you're spending time and energy to be present. It's very hard to be part of the church without being part of a community group because it's weekly and it's regular. Now, when you're part of the community, what, again, what are the features? I, we don't have time to go into every single one of the ones that are listed here. There's so many. But let me try to highlight one. Just one feature of what this looks like. Look at verse 38. In verse 38, it says, everyone, everyone has the forgiveness of sins. Right? Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, has the forgiveness of sins. Do you see that? And you get that when you do two things, when you repent and are baptized. And this is actually a radical thing back then, and it's actually radical today. Because hear, hear what Peter's saying. When you repent, repent means you admit. It means you confess. 
And notice he says, every one of you, which means he's saying everyone in the church back then had something to confess and admit, which means, by the way, today, every one of us has something to admit and confess and own up to wrong, which is, by the way, why in our, our uh, service every week, we put confession right there. But when you do so, you confess and you admit, and yet, though we're wrong, we're not kicked out. Though we're wrong, it says, be baptized. Now, a lot of people are confused with baptism. They think baptism is just a sign of one's faith. But biblically here, baptism is a sign that you're part of the community. You're part, you are baptized into a particular church. You're baptized into an organization. So what Peter is saying here is admit you're wrong, come on in. Admit you're, you're not everything that you say you are, but join us. When he throws those two words together, it's, it's a, a powerful statement because he's saying, you're not as great as you think you are, and yet none of us are, so come on in and let's do this together. And that has power. Why does it have power? It has power because nobody else in the world does it. In fact, every, in every other situation when a transgression happens, when there's, a broken, when there's brokenness between two people, one of two things happens. One, they hurt you, so you know what you do? You try to get back from them what they took from you. You try to get what, the, what they stole. And so what you do is often you either, you know, you either try to get the payment back, but you try to sometimes hurt them back the way they hurt you. What ends up happening is they always feel like you go over what you should do, so then they feel like you've gone too far, so then they try to hurt you back, and then the cycle of retaliation keeps going. Back and forth, back and forth. So either one, you try to get payment, or the, se- the only other possibility is you don't try to get payment, you let go. Um, I've, I've heard th- have you heard this phrase? Uh, you don't want to let people live rent-free in your head? Because what's going on is that when, when, you're, when you're angry and hurt by them, you, they're still controlling you. And so you say, no, I'm going to let go. I'm not going to let them live rent-free in my head. But if you do that... The injustice is never actually taken care of. It's never fixed. And this is, by the way, why what we do is we, when somebody hurts us, we just sort of ghost them. We just cut them off. We cancel them. We don't even try to go there. But then nothing ever gets fixed. Nothing ever gets rectified. And so one or the other always happens. Uh, put, it, put it this way. I biked here. I, I, I love biking. Um, uh, and let's say I lend you my bike. And you break it or you, you, know, you lose it. A transgression happens. What happens in that moment? Who pays? Either you pay, you either give me money, or if you don't, I have to try to get it from you. I have to make you pay. And some, if I can't get money from you, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to everybody else here and tell everybody that you are a bike breaker. <laughs> you bike breaker. How dare you? You broke my bike. And you, and you say, hey, I've got to tell everybody else and warn them because they're the bike breaker. But I'm also trying to get some, set of, some sort of satisfaction for what they've done. So either I make you pay or I pay. How do I pay? Either I have to fix my own bike or I have to, don't have a bike anymore. I have to do this thing called walking. And I don't like walking. You have people walk and go places. I'd rather just bike, bike. It's, you know, it's, it's called, uh, um, what's it called? It's, it's called, when you have two wheels, you go faster. I don't want to walk. But that's what happens when a transgression happens. Somebody pays someplace. 
Only Christianity shows up and says, we're going to be a community centered on radical forgiveness based on what God has done for you. And if you do that, you're going to get two things at the same time, radical humility and, and radical emotional wealth. You get humility because, you know what, you, maybe you don't break bikes, but you've broke stuff. You've hurt people. And humility is because you admit, maybe I didn't do it that way, but I've done it. And at the same time, you have emotional wealth. You have emotional wealth because Jesus has given you, despite what you've done, his love and kindness and care and acceptance. And because of that emotional wealth, even when other people have stolen from you, you don't have to get it back from them to have emotional wealth again. You have an unlimited treasure chest coming from him. Let me be very, be very clear. When a transgression happens, it's still broken. It still hurts. Injustice still happens. But now you don't have to get back because you need it back. You can actually work for justice. You can work to fix things, not out of vengeance, but because of the, of the need in and of itself to rectify the problem. And so what happens is, it, it, look, look at this text. When you're given forgiveness in the name of Jesus... It keeps us from needing to get back what was taken from us because we have emotional wealth. It keeps us from, from pushing people away because we have humility because the, we are in the same boat as they are. And so when as a Christian community we have both emotional wealth and humility, then we, can neither, we don't, neither have to excuse the wrongdoing nor ostracize the wrongdoer. And what we can then do is seek justice for both the victim and the victimizer. We can say... What's in the best interest of everybody? And folks, that's radical. Our world doesn't do this. If you are the offender, you're out. There is no forgiveness. You are ostracized. You are canceled. You are ghosted. You are over. Or if you're the victim, there's no actual justice. You can't get back what was taken from you. And you're hurting because the emotional wealth taken from you is gone, and you don't have enough of it left. But the early church was marked by people who both repented but belonged. They were able to admit and yet were accepted. And because of that, people joined in droves. Because back then, nobody did this. And today, nobody does this. Historians have pointed this out. The concept of unlimited forgiveness. Where does that come from? Does it come from evolutionary biology? No. It's a dog-eat-dog world. Survival of the fittest in evolution. Does it come from Hinduism? Karma? No. Karma is you get what you pay for. Does it come from Buddhism? This is all, the, Buddhism says there is nothing here. Does it come from Islam? Allah is judge and executioner. No, it's only Christianity. Because in Christianity, what you have is this idea that you are radically flawed and yet radically loved. And therefore, you, you have a safe space to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, I messed up. And a safe place to say, welcome, come on in, you're part of us. And doing that, when you do that, we can at the same exact time now seek justice without either overcorrecting or undercorrecting. That's the power. And that's why Martin Luther, the very first of his 95 theses, when he posted it on the Wittenberg Church, what, is, what was the very first one? All of life is repentance. Because this is the center of the Christian faith. This is the center of the church. What if we, 
This is our five-year anniversary. What if Redeemer Lincoln Square did this well? What if we actually lived lives like this? What if we looked for leaders who weren't just uh, accomplished by the world? They didn't just have long resumes. What if we find leaders and we made them leaders because they forgave easily and repented easily? At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. What if we were a church that uh, was not, you know, we were not quick to accuse, but we were, all, but we were quick to admit? Does, is that you? Does that, is, that in, does, is that categorize your life? To be known as a radically forgiving place. I would love if this place would be a place where we could admit, where we could confess and repent and if we did that, we could unleash, you know what we could unleash? We could unleash our trauma, our loneliness, our shame. Confessing, knowing that we're going to be accepted. Quick, by the way, quick relational hint. This is a great sign of, of, of a church, but you should look for this in your relationships too. The best friendships, the best people you, should, you would want to be with is a place where there's radical trust and openness, and yet radical love and acceptance at the same time. And I promise you, if we did this, Christians would not be, we would no longer be known as hypocrites. You know why? Because we'd be the first ones to say, you're right, that was me. I am so sorry. And we'd be, be the first ones to forgive and let in. And at the same time, not necessarily let things off, but work for a solution. They did that 2,000 years ago, and it radically changed the world. It was the mark of uh, the church. In fact, everything else that happens after in our text comes because of this. And I would love it if, for the vision of our church, for, the, for, for being the Redeemer Lincoln Square, I'd love it this would be our main distinction too. If Jesus looked at us and forgave us deeply when he didn't have to, put that at the core of who you are, and we would be able to go off and forgive and love people deeply around us as well. We'd be a community. It would be a radical community, number one. Number two, cut. We'd be cut. Uh, some of you are like, okay, that would be nice. That's great. That's a ni- nice idea, Mike. We really appreciate that, but we know better. We look at the history. I, I've been around churches. Because you can only forgive if you feel forgiven. But so how do we get that? Go to, go to verse 37. In verse 38, the whole forgiveness stuff, it's predicated on the verse before that. That they were cut to the heart. The reason why they could repent and be baptized, which means to belong was because they were cut to the heart. Well, how did it happen for them? What did it? Look what it says. It says, when the people heard, it was something they heard. Well, what did they hear? Well, um, you know, the suspense. We didn't put it in your bulletin. It's the verse before. In verse 36, you know what cut them to the heart? Two things happened at the same time. Verse 36, it says, you crucified Christ. And verse 38, despite that, in the name of Christ, your sins are forgiven. What you find interesting here is both of these things 
together. So many people ask me, Michael, I want to change. Michael, I want to be different. I want my life to look different. How do I actually do that? James K. Smith, uh, in um, as this little book, it's gold. It's called um, You Are What You Love. And as the title gives away, you are what you love. You are most changed by what your imagination is most focused on. So whatever is beautiful to you, that affects you. Whatever your mind centers on, that, that, that's, whatever your imagination is on, that's what uh, moves you. So you are what you love. So for instance, I love going on trips. I, I spend a lot of my free time organizing trips and going places. In fact, when I go on trips, after I'm done on the trips, because I spend my time on that, I now spend the rest of my time trying to go back on a trip again. If you go through my bank statements, if you go look through my calendar, you can see how much I love those things. If you love health, notice I said you, not me. If you love health, I bet you I could find in your bank statements, in your calendar, a Peloton or uh, a gym membership or the fact that you spend time running on the weekends. Maybe not during the week. Um, it, if you love books, I bet you I could find in your life the fact of how much money you spend on books and how much time you spend on books. Why is that? Because if you are what you love, your heart's affections are touched by what we love. And you will do it over and over and over and over again so that it changes us. And so the lo- our loves are affect, affect our desires and our desires now affect our loves. They're, they're interchanging. And so when people say to me, Michael, I want to be different. Oh, I want to be changed. Go to back to verse 37. What cuts to your heart? When the, for these people, it was when they heard this. But it was hearing, you crucified Christ, and at the same time, you have the forgiveness of sins in Christ. And what's fascinating here is what, what moved their imagination, what they ended up spending the, the rest of their lives just being um, activated by, was holding these two statements simultaneously in their heart. The two statements are this. Truth number one, you crucified Christ. In other words, Christ had to die for you, but you get the forgiveness of sins from Jesus. Christ wanted to die for you. If you only hold on to one of those, guess what happens? If you just think Christ had to die for me, you walk around depressed because you're like, man, I messed up. I killed, I killed Jesus. But if you only walk around going, God loves me, now you're naive and you don't know why he did that and the depth of the need that you had in the first place. But if you hold both of those together, simultaneously, he had to die for me, but he wanted to die for me. There is power there to move the imagination, to move these individuals where now they got a new sense perception on the mind where they realized in a profound way, grace, repent and belong. And if you are what you love, if you love this, that's going to lead people. You know what happens? It led them to be devoted to fellowship, to prayer, to teaching, to breaking the bread together in verse 42. Quick practical point. Look at verse 46. It says that they did this every day. They broke bread in the homes and ate together with gladness. This is first, uh, yeah, 36, 40. Yeah, every day, right there, first first two words. Every day. Now, do you think they wanted to do this every day? 
You have to imagine there were some days they woke up probably and go, do I really have to do this today? They had to, but they did it anyway. You know why? Because they were forming themselves, because what they put themselves around changed them. Because that's what happens. That's that you are what you love. I promise you, if, you, if I put you in front of a television 24-7, I could show you how it affects you physically and mentally. I promise you, if, if, if you scroll through Instagram over and over and over again, and you start seeing how people are trying to make you jealous, and then you end up being jealous because you see their lives, and your lives don't look like their lives, that will affect you and change you. And so I guess the question before we move on is this. What's forming you? What are you loving? What's cutting to your heart? For these people, it was grace. Slammed together. He had to die for you, but he wanted to die for you. What might be the thing that's capturing your heart today? And is it going to be enough? And is it going to, and how is it actually forming you? Last point would be changed. Community, cut, changed. Quick question. What's the difference between a moral person and a Christian? Some of you are like, that's a trick question, because Christians are supposed to be moral. That's not what I'm looking for. The Bible is very clear that there's a distinction between a morally restrained heart and a supernaturally changed heart. A morally restrained heart will forgive because you know why? I have to, I'm supposed to. But often because you use that phrase, I have to, I'm supposed to, and then you end up not doing it in the moment when you really need to. A supernaturally changed heart, though, forgives because you've been forgiven. On that cross, Jesus is doing this. He is taking the sins of the world. He has been wronged over and over and over again, and yet he looks out, not just to the people in front of him, but to all the people of the world, and says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And because of that, if Jesus looks at us, and does that for us. Now we can go out and do that for you and for you and for you and for you. In fact, if we don't do that, it's possible we don't actually feel forgiven. That's, by the way, the point of uh, the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 18 of the um, ungrateful servant. Matthew 18, it's the, it's the one where uh, there's a servant who's been forgiven 10,000 talents. A talent it probably doesn't mean much to you. Back then, it was the highest denomination of money that they had. It was worth about 20 years of an average person's wages. So I had to break out my calculator because I'm not so good at math. 10,000 talents times 20 years. This man owed 200,000 years of wages. So it's like a gazillion dollars. And the king just lets him off. Forgives, probably a great cost to him, lets him go. And on that same day, he goes to his, his buddy, who owes him 100 denarii, which 100 denarii is roughly about 100 days worth of wages, so it's about a quarter of a year. It's something, but it's not 200,000, and throws him in jail for it. And Jesus calls that person wicked. Why? Because the king had forgiven his incalculable debt, and therefore he couldn't, and the fact that he couldn't go back and cancel his friends, he's wicked. Meaning, For you and me, if we don't forgive, we can't forgive. It shows that we haven't actually understood the forgiveness offered to us. To the degree that we feel and rest and experience being forgiven people, 
to that degree where we go out and forgive others, but actually also not to forgive, but admit and feel like we can tell other people about what we've done. What's amazing about this, the story is uh, the king who forgives $200,000, sorry, 200,000 years of money, that's a great, that, that probably put his kingdom at risk. He now wouldn't be able to defend his country potentially. He now might not be able to pay for the social services of his people. Jesus on the cross didn't forgive at the risk of his kingdom. He forgave at the cost of it. Everybody today wants community. Everybody's talking about it, but you don't get it by just wanting it. Christianity has it. The Christian community, this church could have it because of the unique nature of forgiveness offered to us. That you, and if we take it on, what happens when we receive and give forgiveness? Look at verse 46. It says in verse 46, they broke breads and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. The product is gladness. I looked up this word. It's not giddiness. It's not glee. Glad. It's joy. The product, the end result would be joy. I want Redeemer Lincoln Square to be a place filled with gladness, to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together. And that happens when a repentant heart receives grace. After a heart is ripped open to the baldness of their brokenness, and yet is changed by the grace given. The only thing left is celebration. I personally have felt this at various times in my life. Um, there's been times where I, I've, I've, the failure of my shame, you can feel it, just, it feels like it's just starting to choke you. I've failed as a father before to, pre- pre- to prevent my, my daughters from physical injury. I've, I've actually failed uh, as a pastor, where I've used, this is years ago, but I used content that wasn't my own, as if it was my own. And that failure has starts choking you. You feel like, I I can't go forward anymore. I can't admit it. And then when you start seeing glimpses of forgiveness coming from individuals, my wife, colleagues, and friends, the acceptance that they give you covers and overwhelms that shame. But that pales in comparison to going before my Savior in the sadness of my estate with with just all I have is myself admitting it, coming before him, and yet seeing the constant love, seeing the smile that comes from him anyway. It's so humbling, and yet it's so, there's so much relief and reward that comes from saying, I'm still loved. And you know what comes out of that? Celebration. The only thing left is now to celebrate in gratitude and thanksgiving would we bask in the elation of deserving all of us? No matter, all of us have something to repent. We all deserve to be out, and yet we're brought in. Every one of us can come now, and everything that happens after this, the sharing of property, the breaking of bread, the spending time together, the praying together, all is a result of living deeply consequential lives of forgiveness. Have you today... Have you bathed yourself in this? Have you, have you identified with this? Is this what's forming you primarily in your life right now? Because if it did, first of all, the good news is we would have the gift of the Holy Spirit in verse 38. You will receive it. 
The Spirit will dwell in you. And amazing things can happen because of that. Because things are no longer just factual, they're functional. My prayer to end today, this is what I would love us to do. I'd love for us to be able to individually and corporately sit together and say, Dear Jesus, you gave yourself to me. I want to give myself to you. Jesus, you rejoiced in me enough to die. And when the shame wants to choke me out, I can, I can sit and rest in you. And I can now rejoice in you. Folks, you're going to be able to handle the many deaths of your life, the slights and pains that other people bring, the, the, uh, the shame that often overwhelms us because of the, the love that we receive from him. Enjoys the sign. The celebration, we're going to go downstairs and celebrate together, is a, is a mere depiction of the singing and hosting and talking and playing and hugging and crying that we can have because of the grace of Jesus in our lives. We celebrate God together as we celebrate each other. Let's do that in our forgiven status. And you know why they could start caring for each other's needs? Because they didn't have the same needs they had before as they're covered in Jesus. Let's make Redeemer Lincoln Square that place, a place where your needs are being met as we meet each other's needs. Not just the past five years, for, for the rest of the years that we're here. Let's build this place together. Let's be cut. Let's be a community. Let's be changed by this. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, what if we, our imaginations were pricked by the fact that we were cut to the heart by deeply knowing our need for you to have to pay for the transgressions that we all cause to each other, the, the bike-stealing, the bike-breakingness of, of each other's lives, and yet the full forgiveness and love that we can belong and say, come on in, the water is fine, because we deeply know what we've done, and yet we've been deeply forgiven, so we can now offer that to other people. Father, there's been a lot of abuses of this. People have used it to, to not care about justice. I pray it would be the other way around, that we would, we would be able to be now more caring. Not seeking vengeance, though, but, but seeking to right the wrongs of the world in the, vein, in, in the spirit of the full forgiveness offered to us. I pray that would be in us now and always. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already, and we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family.